Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Reclaimed Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Elise, just a black girl out here trying to help everyone do better, including and especially herself. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Or if you're new here, hi, hello, and welcome. Come on in, take a seat. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Um, if you can't hear it in my voice, your girl is tired. I have reached a personal point of overwhelm. Nothing is wrong. This is a stretching season for me. This is a growing season for me. This is a chance for me to live in the things that I prayed for. Um, and so, yeah, I've been, it's been a lot of late nights. It's been a lot of early mornings. Um, it's been a lot of, you know, getting my thoughts out there, getting the work done um, and doing my best doing my best. So I appreciate each and every one of you for all of your support, whether you are a new follower um, on any one of my platforms or you're, you've been here and you've been rocking with me, you know, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate each and every one of y'all. So yeah, let's get into the show. Um, last week's episode was entitled the slap. And if you have no idea what that's about, um, God bless you. That means you lead a peaceful, quiet existence that honestly, I am kind of jealous about. You don't have to deal with the rantings and the ravings of every and the ramblings (laughs) of everyone with an opinion on Wi-Fi. You don't have to deal with that. Um, And that's dope. That's really, really dope. But if you do know what that's about, then. We're all in the same boat and I believe we probably have reached saturation. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to apologize because I am going to bring up that story again only to illuminate another situation that's going on. I'm not even going, we're not doing a deep dive. We already did the deep dive last week. So this week is something, it's going to be something different, but yeah, so we're all here. So you can go back and listen to last week's show um the show prior I realized that I didn't do this for the week prior but Earl and I had a great great talk um we sat down and talked about everything surrounding Judge Katanji Brown Jackson which I'm getting ready to do some updates on in this week's show but that was also a good show um so make sure you have listened to that um other than that you know I tell you guys every week there's one person who will never mind you guys binging on the Reclaim podcast, which I believe is up to 160 episodes. Um, I do this pretty much weekly, uh, pretty much, you know, with the random off weeks. Um, I hope you guys don't mind, usually self-care, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of episodes out there, so y'all feel free to binge. There's a person that does not mind. Um, actually a bunch of you have already told me that you're going through and starting at the very first episode and coming up to see like the growth and the change, which that's amazing of you. Holy cow. Um, that has to be a lot of work. So I have a lot of respect for y'all. Um, but yeah, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you guys so much. That's like really really cool maybe I'll go back and listen and see how much I've grown and changed and how this show has grown and changed um but yeah those were last week the last week and the week prior um shows 
So let's get into this week's episode. Let's get into these church announcements. All right. Hit it, Earl. Let the people of the Reclaim say amen. Glad to be here. Say amen again. And say amen one more time if you really like the show. We're glad that y'all here today and these will be your church announcements. All right, come on in, have a seat, and let's talk about the good, the sort of good, maybe good, and the ugly. (laughs) So, after 100 years of trying and 200 attempts, there's finally federal legislation against lynching. You heard me correctly. After over a century of trying and 200 different attempts, there is now federal legislation against lynching. So I'm reading from NPR, and they say, the first federal legislation aimed at ending the attacks, lynching, was introduced in the 1900s, I'm sorry, in 1900, by Representative George Henry White of North Carolina, then the body's only black lawmaker. His bill failed to advance out of the committee. More failures followed in 1922 than in 1937. In 2005, Senate passed a resolution expressing remorse, remorse for failing to pass any anti-lynching legislation. Efforts stalled again in 2018 and in 2020. Then on March 8th, more than 120 years after similar legislation was first introduced, the Senate unanimously passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. And as of last week, President Biden signed it into law. I could talk about the shame that it took so much to basically say, hey, you know what? There should be crime. There should be laws, federal laws, because this is such a prolific problem in this country. You know, last week, everyone was crying. Oh, my gosh, the violence, the violence. The the history of this country is based in violence. And it was more than a slap, baby. Um, Mob violence ruled this nation for a long time. Um, And I think when January 6th happened, I I kind of alluded to that. Um, I talked a lot about that. Um, how mob violence really not just created, but ran a lot of this nation and mob violence is responsible for lynching. Um, people used to bring their children, their children to watch lynchings. There's so much horror and, and brutality and gruesomeness and inhumanity that happened during like the high times of lynching and at to date there have been 4,000 recorded cases but something in my gut tells me there's way way more I'm like well who was recording and when did they start just gruesome things terrible stories terrible terrible stories um and so, you know, this doesn't absolve any of that. This doesn't erase any of that. But what it does is put federal federal 
time to anyone who would attempt to still do this. And for anyone who's sitting around saying, oh, you know, the lunchy times are over, da, 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 I would challenge you to look at Ahmad Arbery and how he was hunted down by three white men for jogging, for jogging. Didn't do anything, wasn't doing anything but going for a run for his health, for his mental health, for whatever reasons that people want to go for runs. Right? It's not like, I don't even have to dive into all that. Y'all get the point. It's just, it's terrible that we need this legislation. It's horrible that it took so long, but I'm grateful that we have it. And yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Let's move on to the next story. So as of the beginning of this week, members of the Senate Judiciary Committee have met to discuss Judge Katanji Brown Jackson um, to discuss her nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court. And apparently they were deadlocked 11 to 11 along party lines on whether to send her nomination to the full Senate for consideration. And that's from Reuters. Um, But according to the Associated Press, Democrats have planned a vote to discharge um, Jackson's nomination from the committee to the Senate. Um, There's, of course, a bunch of there's a series of procedural steps that are coming. We'll be hearing about it. Um, It's going to end up winding up in the Senate. Um, Various folks are predicting it's going to be a 50 50 split with you know, um, uh, Vice President Harris having to break the tie. (sighs) It's very annoying. It's so annoying that we even have to go through this. And it's so annoying that certain party members are more excited to stand against Democrats than stand for the democracy. There's no reason why you can vote. You need to vote against Ketanji Brown Jackson. There's not. She's more qualified than half the people on the bench currently sitting there right now. Um, she's she's served at every single level of the federal courts, every single one. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's got a great reputation. Um, she's she comes with glowing uh, recommendations from the American Bar Association, all sorts of police unions people on both sides of the aisle who you know in all transparency some people are like you know what I don't necessarily agree with you know where she stands politically but she's a damn good judge she's fair she's even-minded she's she's unflappable which we saw last week (laughs) you know she didn't really get rattled uh more power to her because plenty of us were rattled for her which is fine, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. Um, long and the short. Uh, yeah, that's happening this week. I will keep you guys updated on social media, um, as to what is actually going on with that. Um, I had Earl, uh, he explained a lot of that to me, how all of those, all those procedures and things work. And I'm like, I don't know how it works. Just say that she's on the Supreme court. Like y'all did with the other thing. Anyway, <laughs> just let her on the Supreme court. She's like, 
highly qualified. She's highly qualified. She's overqualified. She's ready. She's brilliant. The court would be blessed to have her. Like I said before, blessed to have her. Um, speaking of the Supreme Court, y'all heard about old Clarence? Clarence was not having a good time the last time we talked about Clarence. And the reason why, um, I'm actually reading from CNN for this particular story. Uh, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection will seek to interview with, con- oh, seek an interview with conservative activist Virginia Jenny Thomas. If that name sounds familiar, it's because she is the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas. Back to the article before I dive into my own thoughts. Most members of the House Select Committee investigating January 6th, including the chair uh, Bernie Thompson and vice chair Liz Cheney, believe the panel should interview Jenny Thomas. Um, They um, CNN reported earlier this week. The committee has had ongoing discussions about Jenny Thomas and CNN reported last week that it is in possession of about 29 different text messages that show her pleading with the then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to continue the fight to overturn the 2020 election results. This is a reminder that Jenny Thomas is a conservative activist. Um, she, re- I mean, it was recently revealed that she attended the pro-Trump rally that preceded the Capitol attack on January 6th. But uh, according to her, um, she played no role in planning the events of that day. Despite the fact that she was telling Mark Meadows, who was chief of staff in the White House to quote unquote, stop the steal, things like that. It's, it's not looking good. It's not looking good over there. But we've also run into some roadblocks because we don't know what we can necessarily do. You know, yes, she could be summoned before the Senate, um, sorry, not the Senate, before the House Select Committee that is investigating January 6th. Yes, she should, in fact. But what should also happen is that her husband, Justice Clarence Thomas, should recuse himself from any, any cases dealing with January 6th. In fact, Several cases have already come before the Supreme Court. Um, And I'm not sure if this next bit that I'm getting ready to tell you about was revealed in one um, one of those two cases. But there was all the justices needed to either agree or dissent to have communication records released to the court. Um for their review in particular cases. And the only judge, the singular judge to dissent against those records being released was Judge Thomas or Justice Thomas regular, um, rather. And that's very telling. It's just like, mm, there's some overlap here. There's some overlap here. This is uncomfortable. Now, just a reminder that these 29 uh, text messages that the Senate, uh, I keep saying Senate, and I mean the House, y'all forgive me, that the House committee <laughs> um, have from Jenny Thomas, those text messages were not revealed in either of the two cases that have already come before the Supreme Court. But like I said, there's overlap. There's overlap. 
and Clarence needs to recuse himself. Will he? Probably not. Will the other justices call for him to do so? Probably not. Nobody wants to rock the boat or make things uncomfortable, which I don't understand why. I'm like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to, to, to make sure that the laws, I mean, that I'm discussing how these laws, uh, are either constitutional or not. That's what the Supreme Court does. So we shall see how that goes. Um, the whole situation is a giant mess, child. And I just, whew. Yeah, I'm completely over it. I'm ready for these indictments. I'm ready for folks to go to jail. And I'm not talking about just the people who ran up in the Capitol. I'm talking about the big fish, the people who are ultimately responsible. Will they go? Who knows? I always have hope. Apparently, I'm a hopeless optimist. But we'll see. We'll see. And that's it for these church announcements. Let's get to the mess and the message. All right, come on in, y'all. Have a seat. Let's, uh, let's talk about this mess and message situation. So by now, we have all heard about the incident. During this year's Academy Awards televised show, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock after Chris made Ed pretty insensitive joke about Jada Pinkett's uh Jada Pinkett Smith's hair loss. The altercation between Will and Chris, two beloved men, um, not just in black culture but in popular culture, has stirred some pretty interesting discourse across the public sphere. And while I was highly entertained about you you know, watching you guys drag every celebrity who should have kept their mouth shut Judd Apatow and you know Jim Carrey which I was really disappointed oh my god Jim Carrey like keep your mouth shut like what are you talking about Kathy Griffith and Zoe Kravitz y'all were brutal to poor Zoe Kravitz like I'm not saying that she didn't deserve it I'm just saying y'all are brutal um but yeah I'm not here to talk about that um, however you feel about the whole situation, that's your business. What I'm here to ask is one question. Are black people allowed to make mistakes? Now, I know a bunch of you guys are going to be like, of course, of course, people are allowed to make mistakes. But we could talk about history, both recent and not, that would make you question your answer to that question. Um, we don't have to dive into a full historical analysis. Um, about black people making mistakes and how we often have to suffer the ultimate consequences when it comes to such things. Um, whereas white, our white counterparts can make mistakes and they're either welcomed back in or dealt with a bit more gently than we are. So, um, but I want to focus on this particular event to illustrate a point. So prior to this incident, let's talk about Will Smith. Will Smith was the actor, producer, philanthropist that everyone adored. Popular culture adored him. He gave us three decades, 30 years of music, entertainment, films, summer blockbusters. Um, I believe there was a maybe a run of either four or eight years where every single summer was a Will Smith summer coming out with another incredible film. Um and then, you know, he's, he became a producer and started producing wonderful things on that end. He's, you know, he was still acting and things like that. And then he gave us a really engaging and hilarious social presence. 
Um, and then a very transparent memoir, you know, he was trusted. He was respected. Honestly, he was considered safe. And that was until that faithful Oscar night. Suddenly the public discourse surrounding him shifted. Social media lit up and people called him a brute. People called him a monster. People called him an animal. Uh, folks claimed that he could have killed Chris Rock, which y'all are out here admitting that a slap could kill you. And I'm like, you poor delicate flower. Um, people were calling to cancel him, to arrest him, to send him to prison, right? Suddenly, this star who had been so beloved by popular culture, um, who had a momentary lapse of judgment, which who hasn't, in one of the most unfortunate places to have a momentary lapse. He was deemed a pariah, a menace, a danger to society for one slap. Suddenly, it was all black men were now dangerous, as the old stereotypes say about them being brutes and hazards to polite society. Um, and they were all oozing all over the social sphere for one slap. Suddenly, the entire black race is somehow thrown back from our previous progress for one slap. And honestly, we need to address that. Anyone who says that this one incident between two black men, yes, in a very public setting, but still remained isolated between these two men, somehow that somehow sets the entire black race back, needs to check that within themselves. If they are white and thinking that thought, that's racist. If they are non-black people of the global majority thinking that thought, that thought is anti-black. But if they are black and thinking that thought, those thoughts are internalized respectability politics. For those who are unfamiliar with respect, the term respectability politics, here's a brief explanation. Respectability politics is a term coined by author and professor Evelyn Brooks Higginbot Higginbotham. I just want to make sure I said that correctly. In her 1993 book, uh, righteous Discontent, The Women's Movement in the Black Baptist Church, 1880 to 1920. While the term is relatively new, the concept is as old as the racist rhetoric it comes from. It basically is an oppressive group telling an oppressed group that in order to receive better treatment from the group in power, they must behave better. It means they must dress better. It means they must walk around better. They must speak a certain way to get accepted. They must work twice as hard and be okay with getting half as much. Respectability politics is in essence a way to neuter human beings of their human experiences in order to appease a larger power. Respectability politics says that black people are not supposed to display emotion especially not in front of white people. We are to be stoic still, and in certain cases, silent unless spoken to, unless entertaining, unless adding to the fun or the entertainment of the evening. Meanwhile, our white counterparts are allowed to and almost encouraged, um, and if not encouraged, they're at least understood to show any emotions that they feel. If you don't believe that, I would admonish you to 
examine the recent confirmation hearings of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson and compare that confirmation to the one of now Justice Brett Kavanaugh. We applauded Judge Jackson for her candor and demeanor, especially in the face of blatant massage noir, racism, and just hatred that emerged several times throughout her hearings. And she should be applauded. It took a lot to endure what many of us who watched found very triggering. But imagine if she reacted the way many black people wanted to react or were reacting. Hi, it was me. I was reacting um, in the privacy of our own homes. Imagine when questions of, um, questions of her motives or name calling or insults to her very evident intelligence were spoken that she acted the same way that Justice Kavanaugh did when the very real accusation of assault came to discussion. If Judge Jackson even as much as raised her voice, the story would not be what we are seeing right now with the shaming of those comments made by these certain senators. The story would be that, quote, angry, rageful judge slams senators. She would be the angry black woman instantly. The story would reduce her to the very, would reduce her very real lived experiences into just her emotional output. And that's why respectability politics are so dangerous. Respectability politics center the appearance of things to white people over the experience of things of black people. We have to dress a certain way. We have to speak a certain way. We have to behave a certain way. All to make the white people around us feel safe and to prove that we are not a threat. Respectability politics says that Will, Will Smith and Chris, the Chris Rock situation sets black people back. Respectability politics does not allow for mistakes, missteps, or errors that these men demonstrated. And this is why they must be dismantled and destroyed. The idea that if one black person makes a mistake, error, or misjudgment, it affects all black people is not only ridiculous, it's racist. No one says that because of what Harvey Weinstein did that it set bl uh, white people back 50 years. Nobody looks at Chris Harrison and says because of what he said, white men are going to have it harder. As white people, they're allowed to make bad decisions. And misjudgments without the weight of their entire people on their shoulders, as they should. Human beings should be allowed to make mistakes. Human beings should be allowed to live out our lives. And yeah, we should call each other out as individuals when we do make those mistakes. And now I'm not saying that the terrible things that Harvey Weinstein did were mistakes necessarily. I'm just saying that they're trash things. But no one is holding the entire white male population to to task for what Harvey Weinstein did. No, we just look at him and like, oh my God, like what a terrible person, you know? But suddenly when a beloved, beloved, beloved actor, producer, author now has a mistake has a misstep does something wrong does something out of character out of character out of the character that he has not just portrayed but exhibited and exuded 
now he's suddenly set all black people back. Now black people in general are just not getting invited back to the Oscars. Y'all hear that? Y'all hear that? Y'all hear how ridiculous that sounds? That sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. And yeah, you can feel any type of way you want about the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap situation. But if it starts to bleed over into stereotypes, if it starts to bleed over into hatred, if it starts to bleed over into tropes, we should address that. We should address that within ourselves. So I'm going to answer the question. Are black people allowed to be, to make mistakes? Are black people allowed to make mistakes? I mean, black people should be allowed to make mistakes. We should be allowed to make mistakes. And without the weight of all of our people riding on it or not. So that is it for the mess and the message. Let's get to the wrap up rant and blacks in the deep end. all right all right let's get to the end of this show so this particular story almost ended up as our mess and message i'm just gonna go for it so if you haven't heard of a gentleman named ralph richard banks um he is the jackson eli reynolds professor of law at the stanford law school and co-founder and facility director of the Stanford Center for Racial Justice. He is also the author of the book, Is Marriage for White People? Which he wrote 10 years ago. He recently wrote a piece, an opinion piece, in the New York Post entitled, Why More Black Women Should Consider Marrying White Men. Yeah. In 2022, we're letting stories like that run. All right, so here we go. Um, I'm just going to read a portion of it, and you guys let me know what you think about it. Um, But here's what I'm thinking. Uh, So here it goes. Two of the most powerful positions in the United States government will soon be held for the first time ever by black women. Kamala Harris and Ketanji Brown Jackson. Harris as we know, is the vice president of the United States and Brown Jackson could soon be a Supreme Court justice. But Harris and Brown Jackson also have a personal attribute that is equally noteworthy. Each has a white husband. I want y'all to hear that again. These women are the vice president of the United States and soon to be Supreme Court Justice. But their person there's they also share a personal attribute that is quote equally noteworthy. Each has a white husband. Mr. Ralph Richard Banks, to equate the time, the effort, the struggle, the education, the perseverance the connections, the work, the 
politics, the labor that both Vice President Harris and Judge Brown Jackson had to endure and say all of that is equally noteworthy to them having a white husband is a trash statement. Trash. Now, hear me out. I am the first person to say love who you want to love, marry who you want to marry as long as it's legal and everyone is consenting. Have at it. Have at it. That's y'all business. I don't care. I literally don't care. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) So it's not about the white husbands for me. What it's about is the reduction. The reduction of these black women and the work that they've done and the things that they've accomplished. All their schooling, all their education, all of their work, all of their efforts, all of that and say that it is equally noteworthy that they have a white partner. The rest of the article can literally go into the, in the refuse bin as well. Um, it's basically a continuation of the demonization of black men, um, and saying that, you know, black women might do better in marrying out, which, you know, if that's their decision, that's their decision, you know? VP Harris and and Judge Brown Jackson, they can marry who they want to marry. And they did. And their families are better for it. You know, marry who you love. That's all I ask. Marry who you love. Keep it legal. Keep it consenting. But marry somebody that you love and that you could see you're spending the rest of your days here with. Loving and just being with. Like, yes. But who you love is not an accomplishment hear me out like getting married in and of itself is not an accomplishment you know choosing to do the work of staying married is an accomplishment you know having a wedding and signing the paperwork and stuff like that and getting engaged that's not an accomplishment accomplishment it's a nice thing to happen that people will congratulate you for but that in and of itself is not an accomplishment but choosing this person every day and I'm not I know somebody gonna come on like what about in cases of abuse or what about if y'all just don't love each other anymore and it's not working how can you say that staying together is an accomplishment because it is staying together is an accomplishment choosing to do the work every single day to make sure that your family and I'm not talking about extreme circumstances what I'm speaking about is you know the everyday mundane you left your shoes in the middle of the floor um you put the toilet paper on backwards (laughs) uh you forgot to take out the trash. Uh, who's supposed to pick up the kids from school? Like trying to figure out all of the daily mundane stuff. And then still waking up every morning and saying, you know, I, I still love this person. I still want this to work. I still want to make this happen. And I don't care how many years go by. I want to dedicate my years to this person. That is an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. 
I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's any, it's, it's a different accomplishment to saying, you know what? I can't stay here in this anymore. This is not healthy for me. This is not healthy for you. No one is happy. No one is even content. Um, and we should do the healthy thing for ourselves. That is also an accomplishment. Because that also takes bravery. That also takes guts. And that's also going to be a conversation for another day. Because you guys know, um, for all my new listeners who didn't know, I have perspective on both. Because while I'm having a great time being married to this man, this wonderful man named Earl, who I adore, I was married previously. So I have some insight on, on both. Okay. But back to my original point. To say that the hard work and the effort and the struggle that these women went through, the education, the, the, the time and the labor that it took them to get to the positions that they were, that they are in currently or about to be in. And to say it's equally notable that they have white husbands is really to reduce the work that they've done to reduce it. Like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I think this article is just, I, I can't believe that the New York Post would run something like this. I mean, I, I guess y'all need clicks. So here you go. Like, clicks. But it's just, it's very disappointing to see things like this. Um, and to talk about, you know, this is the stuff. This is the kind of stuff. And by the way, if anyone's asking, yes, Ralph Richard Banks is a black man. That is a black man telling black women, hey, you know, it's okay to marry outside your race, which, yes, it is. It is perfectly fine if that's someone that you love. Absolutely. But don't think that that's the only thing for us. Like I said, you guys can read through um, that particular article um, and see what your opinions are. I found it very disparaging of black men. Um you know, I'm married to a black man who I adore and love. I feel like we are equally compatible, equally matched. Um, I think it's a terrible proposition to assume that just because black women are on the rise and doing our damn thing, um, that there aren't brothers also doing the, doing the damn thing as well. Um, I think it plays into stereotypes. I think it plays into some of the worst thoughts about black men and black manhood. And I think that there needs to be a continued discussion about this. I am almost, I almost kind of want to pitch a story to the New York Post to combat this. Almost. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. Like I said, I'm already overwhelmed. I'm already a cat. But you girls got ideas circulating around and, you know, I can't turn that off which I'm grateful for um but yeah girl this ain't it this ain't it all right let's get to some good stuff um some of these stories I'm calling better late than never but let's start with the one that's not better late than never congratulations are in order to quest love who received both an Oscar last week and a Grammy this week for his Summer of Soul documentary. I'm ha- I happen to be wearing the Summer of Soul t-shirt right now. Um, I was I was blessed. I was blessed by a beautiful, beautiful care package um, from the team promoting Summer of Soul. 
um, that had a record player in it and two records um, featuring music from Summer of Soul. I was elated. I've always wanted a record player and I was so excited to like finally have one. And now collecting here I am a year later collecting vinyls because of this, because of this film, you know, because of this documentary. Um, so if you haven't watched Summer of Soul, I believe it's on Hulu. Um, but it is, it is well worth the watch. It is well worth a watch. Um, confession that sometimes I have it on while I'm working and it's just, it's in the background and it, it's, but it's so beautiful and the music is so timely and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a good watch. You'll enjoy it. Um, let me know what you guys think though. All right. So better late than never. Congratulations are in order to Samuel L. Jackson, who received his first, yes, first out of the billion films. <laughs> He hasn't been in a billion films, but Samuel L. Jackson has a, has a resume. You hear me? Samuel L. Jackson stays in some work. Okay. And he received his first Oscar, an honorary Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement at the Governor's Awards, which was presented to him by his friend, Denzel Washington. And to see these two hug, oh my God. And like, see the joy, like, come on. It was just, it was great. I don't know why that this this moment wasn't at the televised event I guess it was you know in hindsight it was a lot going on there but you know and I'm kind of glad this was a little separated but you know it kind of should it kind of should be um I, I I feel like this deserved way more hype and way more press uh Samuel Jackson is a treasure cultural treasure treasure so congratulations to him also better late than never Morris Chestnut just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. If you don't know who Morris Chestnut is, get familiar because baby, baby, we love Morris around here. Um, now I'm gonna find out something problematic, please, Lord. I don't really feel like it. Uh, because I said that anyway. Um, also better late than never. Jasmine Sullivan, Jasmine the Sullivan, the voice Sullivan received two Grammys yesterday for hotels um just an out outstanding body of work that she has done over there beautiful beautiful work just congratulations are in order my whole social media feed was just jasmine holding them them awards with her sunglasses on and her 90s hair like i loved it i loved everything about it beautiful 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 um and that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for your likes, your shares, and your subscribes. Please, 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 wherever you are listening to this, please don't forget to leave a review. It takes just a minute, but it means the world to me. I read each and every one of your reviews, and they mean so much to me. And I appreciate everyone who leaves a review. Also, don't forget... You can join the dopest community around over at Patreon. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Whitney Elise. Um, I love my patrons. I am so grateful for them. I cannot wait to release some more content. I have a bunch of fun stuff coming in the month of April. I actually just posted another piece. Um, so, you know, the content over there is getting a little beefy. And like I said, and if I get a few more, I, I will feel comfortable starting my new show, 
the Reclaimed Side Note, which is a bonus episode to this here podcast. So yeah, please join me over there. Um, keep the show independent. Um, what else? Oh, please feel free to connect with me. I am on Twitter and Instagram at The Reclaimed. I am on TikTok at The Woke Mama. Or you could send me a good old email. I love those too. To the reclaimed blog at gmail.com. Um, outside of that, that's it for this week's show. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, peace, y'all.